The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Okay, so when I was first starting off in ministry, um, who's familiar with a group known as the Navigators? Anybody familiar with the Navigators you guys are? Okay. So there were the Navigators in, in Zimbabwe, which is really an evangelical, scripture memory-focused ministry. So what we would do is we would all band together, and we would go to universities. We would knock on people's dorms, and we would sit down, and we would talk to them about Jesus. We would talk to them about the love of Jesus and how awesome Jesus is. And then after that, more often than not, they would say, yes, I would like to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. So we would lead them into a prayer, and they would pray, and then we would be excited at the fact that they accepted and they received Jesus. Then we left that university. And it would not be until another six months or so that we would go back. And so the framework of evangelism was shaped through that experience for me until I really started to get into the word to really look at it and see what God means or what the Bible means when it talks about evangelism. I do believe that there is a set or a place where somebody has that tug and that pull to separate themselves and purposefully go and minister to people. And I also believe in the way that God created us, we come off with different personalities, different strengths, and when we all try to emulate one particular strength, I believe we lose ourselves and then are not able to follow through on what somebody else is trying to do. So in view of that, having that understanding of how the navigators taught me evangelism, and also now having the understanding that comes from the scripture, and appreciating the different personalities and strengths that each and every single one of us have, which in itself is an expression of who God is, because who you are is an expression of who he is, and you can only express him the, only, the way that you can. Nobody else can do you like you do you. And so it is very important then to understand within the framework of who you are, your gifts, your anointing, and your purpose, how then do you effectively become an evangelist? And so I want to start off by going to Paul's writing when he writes the letter to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 4 and 5, I wish I had a Bible reader. I will try my best here. It's usually easier when I have a Bible reader. Who wants to volunteer to be my Bible reader? Thank you. So you will need to come up because it's being recorded. So you need to come up so that they can hear what you're saying. It doesn't matter to me. Oh, NLT, if you can do NLT for now, we'll work with the NLT. So 2 Timothy verse 4 and 5 is what Paul writes to Timothy. And if you can read that when you, when you have it. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. Okay. Just verse 5. Verse five. For now, yeah. 
But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given to you. Okay, so another version of that particular scripture will say, do the work of an evangelist. In the same manner as saying, work at telling others the good news. In the same way the NLT says the good news, another version will say, do the work of an evangelist. So immediately we have an understanding here. And if you look at the meaning of the word evangelist, it is exactly that, to tell the good news. That is the work of an evangelist. That's what evangelism is, is to tell the good news. So to understand the framework from which Paul is talking about an evangelist or doing the work of an evangelist or evangelism or telling the good news, we have to then go back to the very beginning of chapter 4 of Timothy because it sets it up real nicely. So Tim, I'm going to need you back up here. So it sets it up real nicely for us to get the picture of what Paul is trying to communicate. Okay, verse 1. Just tell me when. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. So he says right there in the first verse that God is coming to do what? To set up his kingdom. So he says God is coming to set up his kingdom and we are doing the work of an evangelist or telling the good news. And this good news has to do with Jesus setting up his kingdom. So the way that we have seen evangelism, when I gave you the example of me going into a dormitory full of guys and telling them about Jesus, usually you're given a track, a little book. And in that book, it says you have sinned. You have been separated from God. And to get back to God, Christ Jesus is the bridge. When you accept Jesus, that means you get back to God. And that is the tract that we would follow. But what that was doing was an evangelist was not necessarily telling the good news in that moment. The focus was on teaching on salvation. What we must understand is that this is the world. It needs to hear the good news from the evangelist. And when the person hears the good news, they go through a process of salvation to become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So when we focus our mind on just salvation, we're actually not doing the work of an evangelist. We're just teaching the mechanism on how somebody walks out the process of becoming a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So it's important that we understand that the number one message that Jesus preached on this earth was not come and receive me, but it was repent because the kingdom is at hand. And so what he is trying to build in you and I are to become citizens of a kingdom. So imagine, if you will, with me in this whole process. This is America, and this is the rest of the world. When we focus on this process here, 
It's like Americans focusing on the cost of becoming a United States citizen. Would that make somebody want to be a citizen? No, it's expensive. If you say, I ha you have to jump through seven hoops, and politically some people ascribe to the fact to become a United States citizen, you have to make it so difficult. So you focus on the process. But what makes people want to become United States citizens, these people want to become what these people are, is because of the lifestyle that these people live. The life that we have in the United States is what attracts other people to become citizens of the United States. So we don't focus on telling them the process. We live our lives which shine, which show, which, which prove the goodness of the American dream. It is seen and projected, and when it is seen and projected, it creates a desire in somebody who's not American to become American. So in the same vein, what you do to preach or to tell the good news is not by teaching the mechanism or talking about the mechanics of Christianity, but by being who God has called you to be and expressing yourself in the way that you express yourself so that it becomes attractive to be what you are, that causes this person to want to go through this process to become a part of this kingdom. So the problem that we have then is because we're lost in the semantics, we're lost in the mechanisms, we do not actually practice telling the good news. Because you would say to me, what if somebody asks me, where did Cain get his wife from? What am I to do? <laughs> and so you cower away because you think it is important that you have the answer. What if somebody says to you, the Bible says it's not God, there's no mistakes. You say the Bible is infallible, so without any mistakes, here are some mistakes in the Bible. How do you account for that? So we cower away. Again, when we're lost in the mechanisms, we then don't tell the good news. This is what the Bible says. Philippians 1 and 27. Make sure you repeat that. Philippians 1 and 27. New Living Translation. That is the NLT you wanted, right? Okay, I think there's two, actually. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So he tells you right here, what the good news is. So you and I would always assume and say, what is the good news? Because that's the question. What is the good news that I am to tell? And we always run to the fact that the good news is that Jesus died for us. And Jesus is here and he's uh, wanting to build his kingdom and he's wanting us to be saved so that we are saved from wrath. And that is the thing that we run to. Again, that is teaching you the 
process of salvation and not teaching you what the real good news is. The real good news encompasses all that you said about Jesus, but what makes it good is your contention for the faith, your personal contention for the faith, which means it is your story that makes it good news, not my story. So when I say to you that before I met Jesus, I was one way, and then I met him, and now I know the difference in my life, that is the good news. And I don't need anybody to teach me how to say it because of the experience that I am feeling on the inside. It's like watching a good football game, and then you finish it and somebody says let me tell you how to tell somebody what a good football game you've just watched you need to follow these principles on how to talk about the great football game you've just watched or the awesome Marvel movie you've just watched let me tell you how to share it you don't need anybody to tell you you just simply go and say have you watched the latest Marvel movie and then you go on to spill out your guts on how awesome that movie was so perhaps the reason you don't share is are you really excited about the because if you're not excited about this then now you need principles now you need these little versions and templates and fabulous to help you but if you really have an experience you will say like the blind man I don't know about this Jesus whether he is mad or not what I do know is I was blind but now I see so that's the question can you tell the difference between your life before Jesus and your life after. And I don't know if you were born, born again, because I wasn't. I went through some junk before I met Jesus. So I can tell you the difference between my life before Jesus and my life after Jesus. You see, when you live to the fullest of who God has called you to be, without worrying about the mechanics, the homiletics, the hermeneutics, and the exegesis, without worrying about those big words, and all you do is you live, you begin to shine in the kingdom. When you shine in the kingdom, it actually causes people to desire to be a part of the kingdom. And Jesus himself attests to this. Matthew chapter 11 verse 12 and from the time john the baptist began began preaching until now the kingdom of heaven has been f uh, forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it for before john came all the prophets and the law of moses looked forward to this present time and if you're willing to accept what i say he is say he is elijah the one the prophet said would come anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand so Essentially, that scripture is saying the kingdom of heaven is violently or forcefully moving and forceful or violent men want to lay hold of it. So what is essentially giving you the picture, if you read it from Luke's perspective, Luke describes it this way. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. That means people are forcing their way. They're clamoring. They're wanting to get into this kingdom. Why? Because they're hearing the good news. What is the good news? It's you and what Jesus has done for you. You are the letter 
on which God has inscribed his beauty and inscribed his grace. You are the letter on which God has written his mercy. You are the letter on which God has written about righteousness and forgiveness. You are the letter. Will you allow yourself to be read? That is the question. That is what we are talking about when it comes to evangelism. So when you're here, you're expecting step number one and step number two, what I'm doing is a disservice if I did that. Because here, we're talking about the mechanics. We don't preach salvation. We preach the good news. Salvation is the process by which people in the world become a part of the kingdom. Are we together on that? Here's something that is essential for us to understand. Who has heard of a gentleman by the name of Maslow? Okay. So these are some the needs that this Maslow gentleman, who's a psychologist, wrote. He calls the motivational needs of men or human beings. And men desire to have some of these things. I don't have all of them. So homework number one, go and find out what all of Maslow's hierarchy of needs look like. So Maslow, M-A-S-L-O-W. So Maslow says, these are some of the things that we gravitate towards in this room we're in constant need to have food, to have clothes, to have uh, shelter and self-actualization, to know who we are, and to know that we matter. So we desire all these things. When evangelism steps into the realm of being worried about semantics and mechanisms, we create religion. And then religion then becomes the tool to tell people how to get these things. And so we wanted to make it seem like when I come to Jesus, what I get is food, clothes, shelter, and self-actualization. So I want to present myself as though I have it made because of the fact that I have come to Jesus. But what the Bible says is, seek ye first the and his, and then what is added. So which means the priority is not these things. The priority is the kingdom. So which means when you present yourself in any way that you're going to preach the message of the kingdom, you are going to be telling somebody what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You are not telling them how to get these things. You are telling them that when you prioritize the kingdom, and his righteousness, you will have access to the king, and the king has access to giving you these things. So when we focus on these things, 
then we lose people. Because then it's a wonder that you talk about this amazing savior, but I have seen you without bus money and going to ask the person next to you if you could borrow $20. If this Jesus is so amazing, you should be doing great in these areas. But the reason we don't always do great in these areas because he actually never just promised us just to give us these things. He said, seek ye the kingdom and then these things so which means when i miss the step of the kingdom i will struggle to have the very things that i am looking for so which means when i live my life as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven i am living a life that is full of what the beatitudes i am poor in spirit i am meek i am humble when i'm in that post and in that position and i seek kingdom understanding on any principle and any matter when i do that then i am living the life of a kingdom citizen and in so doing these things are added unto me so when somebody asks me how do you do it i'm not going to a self-help book i'm not going to the principles of finance i am going to the kingdom because that's the thing he said i should seek first the kingdom and his righteousness so when i show that i seek kingdom and righteous living then that becomes the answer that shows people what kingdom living is and they violently want to pursue but when you give them this that is not the answer so how do we do it we just say come with me to church on sunday and we hope the preacher gives us a good message. Because <laughs> if he don't and he bombs it, John ain't coming back. And I feel that what I've done by doing that is evangelism. But was that good news? To just say, come to church. What is good news? You. You. You are good news. So I'm taking the focus off of you, just always talking about Jesus and his death. That is mechanism. That you will teach later on. Because the problem is, we then run into telling people mechanisms. And then when we get them, we make them converts. And when they convert, we leave them alone. We don't touch them anymore. But he didn't say make converts. He said make disciples teaching them to obey the command how do you get somebody to obey the command you begin by telling your story when you then tell your story and somebody says man i want this for myself then you teach them the mechanism which is the commandments which is the law and then when they follow that they become citizens just like you don't fall into the trap because we assume the Sanhedrins, the Jewish leaders, that is what religion is. Religion is anything that you place that is not true kingdom God values as a way and a means to meet these needs. Are you with me? So I wanted to show you something. The kingdom of God is about 
righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom is about. So which means when I live as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I walk in righteousness, I have true joy, and that joy is found in the Holy Ghost. Not happiness, joy. So which means Monday it's possible for me to feel the blues. It does not remove me from citizenship. But while I feel the blues, I do not doubt my position. Do any of you, when you go hungry, when the bill's not paid, and you're far away from the American dream, do any of you go, I'm no longer an American now? <laughs> do any of you do that? Then why do we do it when it comes to us being citizens of the kingdom? When I have the blues, I tell a lie, I miss a step, I doubt my salvation. I doubt who I am. Those doubts keep you from telling the... And then you don't say nothing. You don't tell anybody. Because again, you assume that all you're going to get when you come into God's kingdom are these awesome things. So when you're not getting them, you feel that it ain't good. So you don't talk. So this is how it works. This is the beauty of it. John chapter 1. You're going to read for a minute. Verses 35 to 50. And I'm going to close with that. chapter 1, verses 35 to 50. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Jesus was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, they exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself. Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? 
you will see greater things than this. I have not time to unpack all that, but this is the picture I want you to see. Every encounter, except for Phillips, somebody said, come, we have met the Messiah. Come, we have met the one whom the prophets have talked about. That is how it works. What is exciting you? What is exciting you about this faith? What is it? So when you walk in the door and the word is awesome and it makes you feel good inside, is it the praise and worship that when you worship God and you feel like, okay, I have a sense of peace about me, what is it that excites you? Because I'll tell you this, the thing that really excites you, the thing that's really getting to that place in you, you will share. You will find somebody and you will share. You will find Nathaniel who has doubts and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You will find him and say, hey, Nathaniel, listen, I have found something. I have found someone. I have had an experience. And this is the good news that I have experienced. And when you're authentic and true, that will shine. That will shine. So just be thinking about that. There's no blocks. I like what, how do you say his last name, Diffie? Yeah, I like what he said. Don't pray for opportunities because the harvest is plenty. Pray rather maybe for boldness. Don't pray for content. Open your mouth and tell your story. Tell your experience, your contention with the faith, which Paul wrote to the Philippians and says, that is good news. And he tied that good news to the same good news about Jesus. The good news is good because it happened to you. It's not good if you don't get a chance to hold it and taste it. But once you taste and see that the Lord is good, you will go and tell somebody, right? Because then you'll say, yes, this is what happened. And once you get a hold of that, evangelism should no longer be all about mechanism, mechanics, and processes. It's just telling the good news. I am going to share seven steps to simply share Jesus in the secular workplace. So number one is to get dressed. So um, at your job, you likely have a uniform or a dress code, but each of us should intentionally be putting on the armor of God from Ephesians 6, 12 through 18, as well as the clothes from Colossians 3, 12, and the jersey of Jesus. If you have not listened to Pastor Josh's message over baptism in water, I highly recommend it. Um, it is on, you can find it on the New Song podcast if you scroll all the way to 2016. It was on May 14th. It's called <laughs> Raised to New Life, Water Baptism. And in it, he likens baptism to um, making this outward profession of this inward connection. And he makes this analogy of putting on the jersey of Team Jesus, the jersey of the one who chose you. And so what it looks like to wear your Jesus jersey at work is to 
own your fandom of the kingdom, is to talk about him easily because you like to and you want to. And an example of that would be like if someone was like, how was your weekend? And you're like, oh man, my pastor shared maybe the best message I've ever heard on fasting. And it opens up that door for them to ask questions and maybe they take the bait, maybe they don't, but you know, you just shared something that was fun. And um, an example that I heard Pastor Tonneray give once, at his other job, a client was with him on the phone and asked him, how he was doing, and he said, I am blessed because I know the one who blesses. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, profound. <laughs> another way, uh, that another um, uh, thing it looks like to wear your Jesus jersey is to cheer when you recognize his hand in things. To simply say, praise God, or God is good, gives him glory over yourself and others, and it does not go unnoticed. Um, I'll tell you, I am not the biggest sports fan, but even I know that there are certain teams whose fans have a reputation and to the point where when they are identified based on the merch they're wearing, some people may begin to make assumptions of that fan's character. And I bring this up because wearing your Jesus jersey, you are representing more than yourself. And so it is important that you do not behave in a way that would cause Christ to grieve or others to stumble. Um, number two is to work with excellence. Colossians 3.22 says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. It's important to approach what you do as a get to, which will inspire thankfulness rather than a have to, which just breeds resentment. And um, even if you love your job, sometimes that's difficult. So it's intentional that you approach your job um, that way. And similar to how we closed with the first point that you are representing more than yourself, that's why it is so important and valuable and powerful to be a good team member and to be a responsible and reliable employee and to work with excellence. Number three is to love others. John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment, love others as I have loved you. And John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Um, connection paves the way to sharing the good news. And that is why it is so important to love others, and that includes your coworkers and your bosses, and for me, my patients and your clients, whoever you work with. Um, Dale Carnegie, who famously wrote uh, How to Make Friends and Influence People, has um, nine guidelines to relating better to people. And although this book has been you know, infamously used by salesmen to make more money, it has also been highlighted by a lot of Christians because he shares wisdom that um, really does apply to a more eternally significant task than just making sales. And so I wanted to share these nine um, guidelines to relating better to people because I think that they are helpful. So number one is do not criticize, condemn, or complain. Number two, give sincere appreciation. Number three, arouse in the other person an eager want, which alone is like the most uh, obscure of all of these guidelines, but really it makes so much sense, especially with what Pastor Tondra I shared, how we represent ourselves and how we portray what it looks like to be a member of the kingdom so that others recognize they want that. Um, number four, genuinely um, be interested in other people. Number five, smile. 
Number six, remember that a person's name is the most important sound in any language to them. Number seven, be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Number eight, talk in terms of other people's interests. Number nine, make, your other, make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. You may have noticed that Carnegie used sincerely and genuine multiple times in these guidelines. And he did this because if you do something without love, it is no good. First Corinthians 13.1 says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Proverbs 27.14 says, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. People can tell if you are phony, so it's important to be sincere. Number four is evangelize. Um, I love the title of this class, Simply Sharing Jesus, and I think that's how we should think of evangelism. Because like Courtney said, it's kind of this church term that can sound um, daunting, intimidating, and you may like make excuses for yourself that it's for those people in the five-fold ministry who are evangelists. They can do that, you know, and I'll just be a supporter on the sidelines for him, you know? But uh, no, it is just simply sharing Jesus. And um, there are two really, really awesome things to remember when you simply share Jesus. The first is to trust in the power of the gospel. And the second is to trust in the power of your testimony. So that first, trust in the power of the gospel, Isaiah 55:11, um, God's words translation puts it this way. My word, which comes from my mouth, is like the rain and snow. It will not come back to me without results. It will accomplish whatever I want and achieve whatever I send it to do. So even if you feel like um, you aren't as knowledgeable in scripture, like Pastor Tonneride is incredible, and when he preaches, it's like Oprah, just you get a, you get a verse, and you get a verse, and it's like, whoa, <laughs> this is like, this, yeah. You know, even if all you can think of is John 3.16, you know, like, like it says, his word will not come back to him void. It will accomplish what it is set out to do. And so, um, yeah, just use what you got if you feel the spirit tugging at you to share his word. And the second, trust in the power of your testimony. Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. In New Song, student, um, New Song Students, they recently went through a series um, where several people shared their testimony. And Pastor Jackson, I like the way that he describes a testimony. It's just simply a story of um, goodness that God has done in you. And um, if you have not shared your testimony before, a really simple format to follow that you can begin is there was a time when dot, dot, dot. But then I heard and began to understand dot, dot, dot. Now dot, dot, dot. Um, the more you share your testimony, the easier it will be to do so. And the more you share your testimony, you'll learn how to deliver it in a more applicable way so that it will resonate and be relatable to the most people. Okay, number five is to be wise. There's a book by Randy Newman called Questioning Evangelism in which he shares his approach to evangelism. In the book, he discusses how when you share Jesus, you're often met with questions. And his approach to evangelism is to respond to questions with questions. And this is inspired by what Jesus models in the gospel. There are occasions where Jesus gives a direct answer, but more often than not, he responds to questions with questions and turns 
turns the table, requiring the questioner to further assess their own knowledge and understanding. And in evangelism, this allows the Christian to learn that questioner's um, assumptions about Christ as well as their um, posture of heart. And this allows the Christian to better understand how to move forward with the conversation. And so in the book, Newman shares what he calls four lessons from Solomon in which he shares a lot of um, Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom written by Solomon. And I thought it was really helpful, so I wanted to share those four lessons from Solomon with you guys. Number one is to avoid an argument. Proverbs 17:14 says, to start a quarrel is to release a flood. So abandon the dispute before it breaks out. Proverbs 18:19, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. There is such a thing as a constructive argument, but it takes discernment to identify it and to navigate it carefully and wisely. So, um, so um, just as, as Pastor Tondrai shared how we want to be praying for boldness, when you evangelize, it's also so good to pray for wisdom and discernment. Um, number... Uh, two of the four lessons of Solomon is to recognize a fool. So this lesson is all about identifying that there are some conversations that should stop and some that should never start. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in airing his opinions. Proverbs 14.7 says, Stay away from a foolish man. You will gain no knowledge from his speech. Proverbs 23.9 says, do not speak to a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. I thought that this lesson was really um, just almost refreshing because I think like you almost want to believe that any conversation, if it surrounds God, is a good conversation. But there are some conversations in which it is actually protecting you and um, the gospel message to just not give to them. Matthew 7, 6 says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before swine. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. The gospel message is too precious to allow a fool to trample, to knowingly hand a fool the gospel message to trample and then attack you. The third lesson is to remember that people are people, and this very much goes back to um, the importance of loving others because connection paves the way to gospel sharing. And um, um, Solomon in Proverbs, he, he, um, he basically lets us know that conveying content makes up only a small part of communication process and that when you are being sensitive to someone's heart, you compromise a much, a much larger um, par portion. In Proverbs 20, verse 5, it says, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding drops them out. Lesson four is remember the power of the tongue. Now, Proverbs is like chock full of um, <laughs> verses about the power of the tongue, but here are a few. Proverbs 18, 21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 12, 6, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood but the speech of the upright rescues them. Proverbs 12, 18, careless words stab like a sword, but the words of wise people bring healing. Proverbs 21, 23, whoever guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. 
Um, so as you speak, it's important to remember Colossians 4, 6 that asks us to let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer anyone. That's a great verse to pray as you approach evangelism. Um, the sixth step, so we're done with the lessons, we're back to the steps. <laughs> the sixth step is to disciple. So just like um, Pastor Tondra I talked about, we don't want to stop at sparking interest in Christ or at creating a convert, but we want to disciple someone by coming alongside them to help them know God as you get to know him better yourself. And um, if you haven't heard of Discovery Bible Studies, they're um, a great tool to studying out scripture and helping seekers to answer big questions that they often have, and you can learn more at um, dsbguide.org or discoverybiblestudy.org. And the final step I had is to pray. So um, 1 Corinthians 3.6 says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So something I love to pray if I have shared Christ with somebody is that someone would come and water it and that God would make it grow. Like maybe I did this, but I need somebody to do this and then God to do this, you know? And, <laughs> and, and uh, to pray, you know, for your bosses and your coworkers and your patients and your clients and their families. Um, and finally, as Tondra brought up the harvest, Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. This is one of the few times in scripture that Jesus gives us a prayer request, and I think that we should um, recognize the weight of that and um, pray for that. So that's it. <laughs> yeah. So the crux of the matter. In an effort to be relevant to our culture, relevant to the times and the changing generations, church, Big C Church, has tried to pivot itself to remain in competition with culture. Because the big screen TVs have come in and they keep our attention and entertain us. Sometimes it's difficult for us to be taken away from that because we still want to be in front of our big screen TVs and even our phones are getting bigger to keep us in that place of being captured by what it is that entertains us. And so the church, in an effort to remain relevant, has then tried to create atmospheres by bringing in technology so as to stay in line with this changing and developing trend. But to be salt and light, what allows you to be relevant is not in you being the same as your culture, but it lies in you being different. If you're going to be the same as your culture, 
then it becomes difficult for you to find your good news or to find the steps that she's talking about in order to live them out because you feel like if I become different, then I'm disassociated from my culture, I'm disassociated from the people around me, and I lose my sense of belonging, and therefore I am not relevant. But what makes you relevant is actually not being the same. The Bible says the earth is yearning and groaning for the revelation of the sons and the daughters of God. So which means that people are actually waiting for the revelation of who you are. And how you're going to reveal who you are is by being salt and light. And that salt and light lies in your difference. The problem is because of the culture, we run away from who we are to try and emulate what we see. And when we do that, we lose our saltiness. We become adulterated, contaminated. And when we are contaminated, it then becomes difficult to tell you that Jesus is good. Because when you say it's a bad day, I'm right there with you. When you say things are terrible, I'm right there with you. When you say this president, I'm right there with you. When you say we got to change government, I'm right there with you. So now my tongue speaks just like the tongue of the world. And now I'm no longer different. And because I'm no longer different, I become less effective. Do not run away from who you are. You have got to embrace you, the whole you. You need to quit looking at yourself and saying, this is wrong about me. This needs to be improved about me. These are the things that I do not have. These are the things that I do not possess. You need to look at yourself as this who God created me to be. And there is only one me. There is no other me. So I'm not even in competition with anybody. I'm in competition with striving to being who God called me to be. When you get a hold of your true and personal identity, you become salt. You become light. Because you're different. You cannot keep hiding away from your difference. The church has apologized far too much. Far too much in order not to hurt feelings. One of the biggest things that I, I don't like, my wife knows this, and if you've listened to me at certain times, is somebody who's not a Christian, who's never read the Bible, who says, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you supposed to be this way? You've never read the Bible. How do you know what I'm supposed to be? Because you heard a televangelist say one thing or another, or you heard your auntie telling you she went to church and this happened. Now you think you are a veteran in telling me how a Christian ought to be? It's like me having no clue about cars and trying to tell somebody what a car is. Seen those commercials? The people who watch, who watch, it's like a movie commercial. Like if you have this program, you have endless TV, and they act like they, know not, they now know how to fly a plane because I've watched six, seven episodes of this thing, so I know how to fly a plane. It's the same thing. Don't let the world define your faith. The world cannot define your faith. So when you stand strong about your culture as a kingdom citizen, then you are true salt and true light.
Again, I'll bring it back to this nation. Don't apologize for being American. You know how to be proud and to be an American. And if somebody says, this is America, this is America, you can stand in pride because you know who you are as an American. In the same manner, when you see it from the lens of being part of a kingdom, you cease to realize that I, I must apologize. You see, because he called us to be in a kingdom. He didn't just call us just to say, okay, you all need to get saved because there's a wrath that's, that's coming. And when the wrath comes, it's going to destroy the earth. And it's gonna, so you want to be saved from that, from that wrath. He really called us to be in a kingdom. And that kingdom is being set up right here. A new earth, a new Jerusalem. Religion, religion will teach you about tr trying to get to heaven. Kingdom preaching tells you that right here, right now, you are a citizen and the power of God works for you right here, right now. So what I want to do in ending this is I want to give you the charge that Paul gave to Timothy. Okay, so we're going to make this declaration. It's going to be in scripture. If you can stand with me. If you want to follow along and, and not just follow what I'm saying, you can open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to go through this together. I'm going to change some of the wording here so that it becomes personal. Yeah, we're going to, from verse 1, we're going to read the five verses. Okay, just close your eyes. Just get into a moment of prayer with me. Just close your eyes. See, here's the thing. We don't, we don't have to be alone when we're in the kingdom. Because we have been sent the Holy Spirit. Here's something key. The reason why Jesus says it is important for me to, to leave. Because if I am here, it becomes difficult for you to assume your personal position of kingship. Because he is the king. And if I am the son of a king, I am a prince. Whenever I'm in the presence of the king, I assume my princehoodness. But when the king apportions me my portion, my land, then I become a king of that portion and of that land. If he comes and he visits my portion and my land, I'm no longer king because he is my king and I am a prince. So he left so that we could assume the position of kingship within everywhere that he has given us to tread. That is why he is king of kings. And so there's a charge that's about to be released from this room. If you would believe with me that it is possible that in this room that everyone here was meant to be here today because God is about to begin something new. If you would believe with me, it is possible that revival would begin because we planted seed in this room this evening. If you would choose to believe. If this is going to be another meeting and another equipped class that you've been to, then that is exactly what it will be. But if you choose tonight 
to say, I am going to take this charge with all sincerity and let it be something that plants in my heart, then I believe revival is being birthed here tonight, this very moment. For it is no accident that the people who are here are here. You were meant to be here. I don't know how you arrived. I don't know what pulled you, but it does not matter. The fact is you are here. And so I want you to take this charge in your heart. Repeat after me. In the presence of God, and of Jesus Christ, who would judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I accept this charge to preach the word, to be prepared in season and out of season, to correct, to rebuke, and encourage with great patience, with great patience. And, careful and careful instruction. I know, I know that, people that people will not put up, not put up with, sound doctrine. with sound doctrine. They will desire, they will desire to, hear to hear only what they desire. They will turn their ears from the, from the truth and turn aside to myths. Aside to myths. But, I but I will keep my head, keep my head in, all in all situations. I will endure hardship, will endure hardship and, do and do the work of an evangelist. I will discharge, I will discharge all, the all the duties of my ministry. Father, I thank you in the name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.